Welcome to another episode of the Tom Shimmer Podcast. Happy Monday, everyone. Everyone had a wonderful weekend. Uh, no travel for me this week, off the road until January, so looking forward to some time off the road before things get busy again uh, in 2023. A uh, couple of announcements again before we begin. Uh, this is the last episode of 2022, so including today, one episode to go. Uh, this will be the last episode for about a month. It's going to give me a chance to catch my breath and a chance for some listeners to get caught up in in listening to the episodes. So we'll be back in 2023 on January 16th. We're going to take a month off and come back on January 16th. The other reminder is that beginning on January 16th and likely until next fall, I'm going to move to the every other week format. Uh, as I said last week, as much as I love doing the weekly episodes, uh, I have this crunch on several writing projects here in 2023 coming up. So I need to create some space in order to complete those uh, while maintaining the podcast. So we usually go every other week in the summer anyway. So what I'm thinking about is going every other week from now until September. And then hopefully in September, we get back to the weekly episodes. I'll keep you updated on that if something changes, but that's the plan for now. Uh, thanks for tuning in again this week. Uh, Big welcome, of course, to any new listeners joining in for the first time, and a big thank you to longtime listeners. I appreciate all of you. Uh, this week, there is no interview. I was supposed to interview uh, my friend and mentor, Jan Shapui, uh, but she ended up being under the weather a bit, so we weren't able to record the interview on time. So I'm going to reschedule that interview, and she will likely be the guest on January 16th. So I'm solo today. And I thought maybe since this is the last episode before the holidays, I'd do something a little bit more fun. So I'm going to tell you what my top five Christmas slash holiday movies are of all time. And in Assessment Corner this week, Natalie Vardabasso returns for a special edition of Assess That uh, to highlight something that she's created called the Empowerment Ecosystem, which is a community developed for those who are change agents looking to lead assessment and grading reform in their schools or in their districts. And she's also brought a special guest with her today. So that's today's plan. Let's get to it. My top five Christmas holiday movies are coming up. But first, I want to open this week with a quick reminder that during the winter break, you need to take time to rest. Remember, no one's giving you a trophy because you were the most exhausted and you won the holidays. Look, I know it's hard when you have so much to do. Now, whether you celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or a combination because of the uniqueness of your family, and then, of course, you add in New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, Things get so hectic over the holidays, but because of that, we have to find time for ourselves. We have to take time to rest. Now, I know that's easier said than done, uh, but what I want you to think about is taking time for yourself on a much smaller scale. I know you want to go the extra mile for your family. I know you want to do all that needs to be done to make them feel special, but honestly, again, there is no trophy at the end of this. There's no podium no one's going to declare that you won the holidays. Find time for yourself. Try to find it on a smaller scale because sometimes it's really hard to think about taking a day or even half a day. I would probably think about trying to find smaller, more frequent moments. An hour here, 30 minutes there, 15 minutes tomorrow, whatever it is. Because I know the biggest thing for me when it comes to the stress of time, whether it be work time or personal time, the biggest stress for me is not having control over my time. So by looking for these small opportunities to own your time, 
you can feel more in control of what's happening throughout the holidays and throughout your days. Again, no trophy at the end of the holidays, no podium, no gold medal. We all do the best we can, but we also have to remind ourselves that the holidays are for relaxing and recharging as well. To do education right, whether you're a teacher, principal, superintendent, doesn't matter. To do education right, you have to give so much of yourself. You have to give so much of yourself to the job. So, so much of what we do is putting students ahead of ourselves. So when the holidays come around, we really do have to find ways to recharge and relax. Martyring yourself is not the answer. Okay, that, that is definitely not the answer. Your holidays will be special. You will work to making it that way for your family or your loved ones, etc. But again, I just want to keep reminding you how important it is to find that balance during the holidays. There's always more work to be done. There's always another tweet you could send. And I know sometimes it's hard because you see other people tweeting and you're like, oh, they never stop the grind, all of that stuff. And you start to wonder, how do they do it? Well, they don't. Our minutes are our minutes. So if they're doing one thing, they're clearly not doing another. So we really do need to find that balance. Maybe in the lead up to the winter break, I'd suggest preparing a little extra for the new year, right? Do everything that needs to be done so that first week back in January is a little more smooth, a little less hectic. Do a little extra now so you can experience the payoff of the break and to ease your way into 2023. I know this time of year is tough. I know everybody is tired, but a little bit extra now can actually lead us to having a more sustainable January and feeling actually we've come out of a holiday having had a holiday. You'll never regret getting extra rest. You'll never regret recharging. You're never going to regret taking time for you. You know you need it. You know you've earned it. The holidays will be hectic. I know that and you know that. But find time for you as that will allow you to be there for others and it will allow you to enter 2023 the way you should, entering it refreshed and ready to immerse yourself back into the work. Okay, no interview this week, but as I mentioned in the opening, uh, with the holidays approaching, I thought I might indulge in sharing with you, uh, just for fun, my top five holiday movies. Um, Now, I say this is my current top five because I always reserve the right to change my mind. Uh, For example, new Apple Christmas show that was with Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds called Spirited. That was on Apple TV+. Plus. It was just released not ready to be in the top five, and I'm not sure it would enter the top five anyway. I quite enjoyed it, but uh, you need to have a little bit more longevity before you enter my top five. Uh, But who knows? Maybe one day it will, but it's too soon to tell. Um, Also, a shout out to the internet, because I'm going to use uh, (laughs) a shout out to the internet um, for the plot lines of these shows, because yes, I've seen the movies, but why reinvent the wheel? I can search up what these movies are about and uh, get a succinct description to remind you if for whatever reason, you haven't watched these movies. Okay, let, let's let's get started. And already changing the rules here, um, I'm going to give you my top five, but I have to give an honorable mention to my favorite Christmas movie when I was a kid. Uh, and that movie was called, or that show, it wasn't a movie really, but it was a show called The Year Without a Santa Claus. And it came out in 1974. And it was a stop action animation show. And it was 
absolutely hands down one of my favorites. And of course, back then there was no recordings, no video. It was just like you got to watch it or you didn't. And you had to look in the TV guide to make sure you knew it was on and and make sure that you were in front of the TV. Year Without a Santa Claus, basically, it's Santa Claus wakes up with a cold um, sometime before Christmas and uh, his doctor who thinks, you know, again, nobody cares about him anymore, advises him to make some changes to his routine. So Santa decides to take a holiday instead of doing Christmas. And and Mrs. Claus unsuccessfully tries to convince him to change his mind. Uh, and so she's unsuccessful at that. And so she enlists two elves named Jingle and Jangle to find proof that people still believe in Santa Claus. So Jingle and Jangle set out with Santa's youngest reindeer, Vixen, uh, but are shot down by a crossfire conflict uh, between the Miser brothers, right? There's Snow Miser, who controls the world's cold weather, and Heat Miser, who controls its warm weather. Uh, Vixen saves her guardian elves from falling into their doom, uh, and then they, of course, continue on their path. Um, as Christmas approaches, the world's children send their own presents to Santa. So they kind of reverse the story here. They, the children send presents to Santa, and that sets off international headlines. Santa, of course, is touched by this outpouring of generosity and appreciation. He decides to make the journey on Christmas. After all, Christmas is saved. Why do I like this movie so much? First, it is nostalgic from my childhood. And second, it's Heat Miser, without, hands down. Heat Miser alone does it for me, right? Whatever I touch starts to melt in my clutch. I'm too much. Um, that whole scene with Heat Miser was the one that got me uh, loving this show. And I couldn't wait every year as a kid uh, to see that one. So shout out, uh, honorable mention to the movie A Year Without a Santa Claus. Okay, top five movies. Here we go. Coming in at number five is The Santa Claus, the original one, 1994, starring Tim Allen, right? Successful toy salesman Scott Calvin uh, prepares to spend Christmas Eve with his son, Charlie. Uh, Scott wants Charlie to maintain his belief in Santa Claus despite not believing himself. Scott's former wife, Laura, and her psychiatrist husband, Dr. Neil Miller, they stop believing in Santa at a young age and feel that Charlie needs to do the same, um, you know, as Charlie gets older, etc., but uh, of course, we know what happens in the story. Santa gets startled, falls down, disappears. Uh, Scott Calvin puts on the Santa suit, yada, yada, yada. Suddenly, Scott, over the course of a year, becomes Santa. And in the end, you know, Neil gets his weenie whistle. Laura gets her mystery date game. We have a happy ending. We have a new Santa. Charlie and Scott are connected. Charlie's connected to his dad again. Uh, to me, just a really great Christmas movie that has a lot of um, really wonderful, warm moments. All right, coming in at number four, Christmas with the Cranks came out in 2004. Again, another Tim Allen movie. So Tim Allen, you know, sort of in the late 90s and and uh, or in a 10 year stretch or so uh, became, you know, king of the Christmas movies almost. But uh, so finally alone for the holidays, uh, Luther and Nora. So Luther played by Tim Allen. Uh, Nora, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, they plan to skip Christmas and take a cruise to the Caribbean instead. This does not sit well with their Christmas-obsessed neighbors, including including uh, Vic Frohmeyer, uh, that's played by Dan Aykroyd. Um, they are determined uh, to win the best decorated street in the city, that competition, the whole thing. Um, and the Cranks soon find themselves as social outcasts because of their lack of Christmas spirit. But of course... In the end, their daughter, Blair, decides to come home for Christmas, and then there is mad panic about trying to put on the annual Christmas Eve party at the Cranks' house. 
love the movie based on John Grisham's book, uh, Skipping Christmas. I think it's a really clever story, uh, has a feel-good ending, you know, lessons learned. And of course, one of my favorite scenes is when Vic Fromeyer stands up after uh, Luther had fallen off his house trying to put his Frosty up, and he gives the big speech about why they need to support the Cranks in their in their Christmas Eve party, despite the fact that they were going to skip Christmas, because he says, regardless of how you feel about Luther, and I know some of you have mixed feelings about him now, but we're a community, and in a community, people stick together. Even if one of them has been behaving badly for most of the holiday season, and one of them has been behaving like a spoiled, selfish little baby, we're not doing this for him. We're doing it for Blair, and that always gets me in that moment. Blair, who babysat all of your kids. Blair, who comes home every summer and makes all of us feel like family. And then the kicker, why should the daughter pay for the sins of the father? That scene gets me every single time. So Christmas with the Cranks, number four on my list. All right, number three. Four Christmases, 2008. This is with uh, Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon. Uh, They're an unmarried couple. They have plans to go to an exotic vacation every Christmas to avoid their family. But because of weather, their plans fall apart and they have to spend Christmas Day going to all four Christmases because each of them have parents who are separated and divorced. So they've got to go to four Christmases during that one single day. Um, You know, Brad, who's played by Vince Vaughn, counts the hours till he can escape the onslaught of this craziness. Kate, Reese Witherspoon, begins to wonder about her own choices in life and ponders whether her family members are actually so crazy after all. So I think what I love about this movie is it just kind of magnifies the craziness of the holidays. I talked a little bit about that in the opener as well, just how crazy the holidays can can be. Um, there's so, so many great scenes in this movie, a lot of feel good scenes, but also a lot of funny scenes, uh, when they're installing the satellite dish in, in, in Brad's father's house, uh, there's of course the, the epic church scene when they do the nativity, uh, acting out of the nativity scene, uh, the jump, jump, uh, of course, flip the tube and, and of course the, the safe word mistletoe, uh, to me, uh, I love four Christmases, a really funny movie, uh, watch it all the time. Okay. Coming in at number two, I know right now you're probably thinking, Tom, you've missed a few. Um, get your top five ready. I want to hear from you uh, on Twitter or Instagram. Let's let's get this out there and let's talk top five movies uh, at Christmas or the holidays. Number two, Elf, 2003, Will Ferrell. This is now, I think it's now a classic, right? Buddy the Elf accidentally transported to the North Pole as a toddler, raised into adulthood by Santa's elves. Um, he's unable to shake this feeling that he doesn't fit in anymore. Uh, so the adult buddy travels to New York uh, in full elf uniform in search of his real father. And as it happens, his father, Walter Hobbs, played by James Caan, uh, is this cynical businessman, of course. And after a DNA test proves that this uh, that that Walter is, in fact, his father, Walter reluctantly attempts to start a relationship with the childlike buddy, the elf, uh, with what the internet says is increasingly chaotic results. So yeah, I mean, most of us probably seen Elf. Um, There are just so many classic scenes in this show. The mailroom scene alone where Buddy's had a little too much to drink. Uh, That alone for me is the worth the price of admission, but there are just so many funny scenes. But I, for me, the, the, the late in the movie, the scene with Miles Finch, where <laughs> Buddy comes in, says he's in love, he's in love, and he doesn't care who knows it. 
and uh, and and says, "Oh, I didn't know he had an elf here." And Miles Finch says, "Listen, Jackweed, I get more action in a week than you've had in your entire life. I've got houses in Los Angeles, Paris, and Vale, each one of them with a seventy-inch plasma screen. So I suggest you wipe that smile off your face before I come over there and smack it off. You feeling strong, my friend? Call me Elf one more time." And then, of course, Buddy responds. He's an angry elf. <laughs> this is a that for me is a classic scene. Love that movie. Uh, elf always gets me in the Christmas spirit. All right, coming in at number one, and it's been number one on my list for a long, long time. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, nineteen eighty nine. You know the story probably. As the holidays approach, Clark Griswold wants to have the perfect family Christmas. So he pesters his wife, Ellen, uh, and the children as he tries to manufacture uh, this perfect family Christmas at their house, uh, including the tree, the decorations. Things go awry, awry very quickly, of course. His cousin Eddie shows up. Randy Quaid plays a cousin Eddie. Uh, the family shows up, uh, and everything sort of unravels. Cousin Eddie living in the camper on the Griswold property. Um, and of course... What makes it worse is that Clark's employer reneges on the holiday bonus that he needs to put in his pool, and uh, the shenanigans unfold, if you will, uh, but just an absolutely... There are so many scenes in this movie, you know, when they're driving under the semi-truck trying to go get the Christmas tree. There's the sledding scene, right? There's the subtle scene where Clark is up on the ladder, and you hear that little click, and then all of a sudden, he slide, the ladder slides down. There's Clark in the attic watching old movies before unceremoniously being brought down by the attic hatch door. There's the turkey carving. There's Clark's pool fantasy. There's him getting the Christmas lights to work. There's the squirrel scene. There's Cousin Eddie emptying the RV. Uh, you all know what I'm talking about. And then, of course, there's the classic rant. Uh, and in the end, um, when when Ellen says... You know, it's over. Let's let's just call it before it can get any worse. And Clark says, take a look around at you, Ellen. How could it get any worse? We're at the threshold of hell. <laughs> this is an absolute classic movie. And to me, uh, 1989, it kind of was a little bit of a preview to some of the cynicism that emerged uh, in the 1990s. So again, my top five, honorable mention, Year Without a Santa Claus, Number five, The Santa Claus. Number four, Christmas with the Cranks. Number three, Four Christmases. Number two, Elf. And number one, Christmas Vacation. I'd love to hear your top five. So tag me in that in that top five. If you're tweeting on Twitter, at uh, Tom Shimmer Pod and or at Tom Shimmer, what are your top five Christmas movies, holiday movies of all time? Or at Tom Shimmer Podcast, if you're doing this on Instagram. Um, you know, get your top fives out there. I'd love to hear hear from you about that for sure. Oh, and one more thing before we go. Um, I just want to declare this to be true. Uh, a definitive statement. Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, okay? Here's my test. If anything Christmas related can be taken out of the movie and the movie still stands up, it's not a Christmas movie. Die Hard would completely stand up without anything around Christmas. All of the movies that are true Christmas movies would be nothing if it wasn't for Christmas. It's not a Christmas movie, and you're never going to change my mind about that. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcasts. Now let's get back to the episode. 
In Assessment Corner this week, I want to welcome back Natalie Vardabasso for a special edition of Assess That with Tom and Nat. Uh, how are you, Natalie? Welcome back. <laughs> I'm good. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, we haven't uh, we haven't had you on since the summer, since we did our summer series of Assess That and had all those great conversations. And I know listeners have often reached out to me and said they appreciated those segments and, and loved your perspective uh, on some of the topics that we, we dug into. Now, Natalie, you've also brought a friend and a colleague with you, uh, Colleen Dawson. Colleen, uh, welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you here as well, Colleen. Um, okay, so listeners, I've invited Natalie back on the podcast because Natalie has created something that I think is really cool and and really helpful in some of the roles that some of you are in. And I thought it'd be really important to share that with you. It's something she is calling the empowerment ecosystem. And Colleen was a participant in that experience. So in a moment, I'm going to come back to Colleen and ask Colleen to highlight some of her big takeaways uh, from the program. But first, Natalie, I want to throw it to you and ask mm. you, why did you start the empowerment ecosystem? <laughs> what problem or dilemma were you trying to solve in starting this program for people? Yeah, good question. Is it okay if I get a little bit personal on the answer, Tom? Are you sure, okay with of that? Of course. You, you <laughs> take it wherever you need to go. Okay, I'm going to use this in my personal therapy session a little bit too then. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you need, absolutely. Go ahead. So it really stemmed from, if I'm being honest, the darkest moment in my story in education thus far. And it's a moment that happened when I stepped into a role that I like to call the middle child of the education system. <laughs> it was a role that's not quite a teacher, not quite an administrator, but you're right in the middle. And it's so it was instructional coach. And there's other names for these types of roles like consultant, specialist. I've, I've heard many different titles now. But what was so dark for me about that time was I had this, I would say it's like a false start in my journey in the education system because I wanted to be this change agent. I wanted to create inclusive spaces that offered empowerment and furthered equity. And I did that in my classroom. And I had this little ecosystem in my classroom. And I was so confident. I was like, I'm doing it. I was preaching the good word from the rooftops. And then I moved into this new role. And I'm suddenly not in my own classroom. I'm now working with the adults around me, whom typically we'd all hidden behind our siloed closed doors. And was like, hey, let's do this. And you hear suddenly oh, that would only work with your kids, or that's not how we do things here. That's not how things are always done. Or you're young, you know, that's it, the pendulum swings. It'll swing the next way next year. And it was so lonely and demoralizing. And I started to question everything about what I was doing and if I was on the right track. And what's even harder is you're, you want guidance and you want mentorship and you want support. But a lot of your admin are stuck in their roles and the day-to-day -day that they have to deal with. And they've never really been in a position like that, so they can't really help you. And the teachers are looking at you a little bit like, well, you're out of the classroom, must be nice. And I know that's a trigger phrase for you too, Tom. <laughs> so you're sitting in this feeling like, what do I do? And then on top of all of that, you have this urgency that overtakes you in that role because there's often a deadline communicated with them. Like, you only get this role for a two-year contract or a three-year contract. So suddenly you're not in the classroom. You have all these dreams of how you wanted to reimagine education. You have the baton in your hand. It feels like you're on an island and everyone around you is kind of secretly hoping you'll fail. And it's an overwhelming feeling and it, it can feel like you just want to like hide, but there's nowhere to hide. You can't close your door to your classroom anymore. Look at your kids and be like, okay, ride or die. We got this. You're you're just kind of on your own. So of course, the happy ending to the story is, you know, over a five-year period, I put my head down and just became obsessed with change and how do we actually make change happen? What books do I need to read? Who do I need to talk to? And I made mistakes and I sought mentorship from probably some of the wrong people, but 
it really led me when I left my role in last May, because through all the work I had done and the change I had made, other opportunities presented themselves, like working with you and the stack team uh, at Solution Tree. And I wanted to do something to help those people because I realized there just isn't a space, there isn't a community for them to feel like they have like-minded people who are doing the same work, who understand what it feels like to be in that role. And also I felt like I had some really good tools to offer. Like I had figured out some ways to make change that leveraged new power and figured out how to exist in how to exist in these power structures that are in the old system. And so I wanted to share that with other people that are in that position. What do you mean by new power? Let's let's talk about that yeah. for a minute. So in the program, we differentiate between two types of power. There's old power and there's new power. And other people in the equity space sometimes call this dominating power or transformational power. So old power is like a currency. It's scarce. Only few people have it. It often lives in positions. So people in formal leadership. And there's this understanding in that old power thinking that only those people can make change. They're the only ones that can come up with a mandate or an initiative. And we have to wait for them to make that decision. But in the age we're living in, if you just look at stories over the past 10 years, new power recognizes that it's a currency and it happens between people. And that's where true transformation and change comes from. And if we look at changes that exist through social networks, like the hashtag Me Too or Black Lives Matter, when people get behind a cause and an idea and find their own reasons to take up the work, that's how we actually address complexity, which is what we are living in right now. Yeah, I mean, it requires a, a rethink of of those structures. It requires a rethink of the traditional ways we approach change. I think that's uh, it's a mm. it's a fascinating view of how we we bring about transformation with something that is so complicated and can be uh, daunting when you're trying to revise or or change or reform the assessment and grading system. We know how mm -hmm. emotional that can be and how challenging that can be. Mm -hmm. So let's get a little bit specific here now mm -hmm. and talk about. You know, if I joined in on the empowerment ecosystem, what specifically do I experience? What does the program look like? Walk us through what each week looks like. How many weeks is it? Give us some of the details about totally. what that whole experience is all about. Well, let's just talk basic logistics first. Um, the, sure. the beta version that I just finished that Colleen was a part of, there was 15 leaders from across North America that joined me. And we did it live. So it was week by week, but I only did that so that I, I'm a true design thinking to the core. So the actual curriculum I created after interviewing 50 people across North America in empathy interviews. And then this group that I prototyped with, we kind of co-created through the conversations that were coming up. But the actual program that is now launching in January is going to be asynchronous because I've heard loud and clear, educators need to learn on their own time, in their own way, at their own schedule. It is so hard to find the time that can work for everybody. So there would be the asynchronous portal, which has kind of three key sections that I'll get into in a second. And then the two things that I think are most transformational and that disrupt the old paradigms of professional development that we're used to is we have a private Facebook group for that ongoing asynchronous conversation. I'm in there Monday to Friday answering questions. A lot of the members like Colleen and Stephanie has been really active in there are answering questions, sharing ideas, offering feedback to anyone that presents something. We celebrate wins in there too, which is really important. As you know, you just talked about it on your podcast. Right. And the, the other piece that's really important is our coaching calls. So two times a week, we have one on Sunday and one on Tuesday nights. We get together and that's a chance to bring up the really sticky issues that we're dealing with, mm -hmm. the tough conversation that's coming up, the hard PD day that we're planning for in a week. And we talk about, this is what I'm thinking. Here's how I'm going to take it up. I'd love to get feedback. 
my cat saying hi, <laughs> big surprise. <laughs> of course. Um, so those that's kind of the basic logistics of it. And it's it's an ongoing thing. There's no beginning and end date because change takes a long time, as you know well. It's yeah. not something that's like, here's a silver bullet, go put it in your context and now it's done. We have to disrupt that thinking. We need a community that's going to support us through planting seeds and seeing how those evolve over a longer period of time. So that's the logistics. Okay. Then the actual like what? Like what is the content? What do we get into? So there's three key uh, portions to the curriculum, if you will. The first is just the overview. So we talk about concepts like power, agency, story, which is a huge part of change, um, complexity. We talk about, you know, what are the mindsets of a change agent? What shifts do we have to make? Like away from imposter syndrome and perfectionism, really embracing modeling and coaching. And then the first section is how we find our own voice. So change starts with each of us personally, internally. So we go through the different things that we can do as an individual change agent to really cultivate who we are, what our values are, how we're going to use our voice, how we can cultivate it, how we can build our network. And then once we've done that groundwork, that internal work, then we can expand outward. So it's really a me to we shift in the last section. So what are those strategies we can use to mobilize? So give specific groups tasks that call them into the conversation and also to organize. So how do we go deep with people and build leaders to help us sustain this change long term? And this is all it's funny. People have asked me, like, this is an assessment program, right? And I'm like, <laughs> it is. But like, as I learned leading assessment and creating change, you also have to become a, a someone who I would joke, I have like a bootleg degree in marketing and communications because it really is learning a lot about leadership too. It's not just knowing everything about assessment and grading and being the resident expert. That won't, that'll only get you so far. You have to help other people to take this up in their own way. So the focus is assessment and grading because I truly believe that's the greatest lever for change in education is changing those systems. But it's really about how do you develop as a change agent and a leader as well. That is challenging because I know that it's one thing to raise your own capacity, your own assessment literacy to grow in understanding what sound assessment and grading look like. But it's quite another thing to create experiences for folks to, for others to to come along and, and begin to grow in their own practices and develop mm -hmm. the will to even invest in, in moving themselves away from the status quo. So that you're right that it requires not just our own capacity, but our ability to connect with others and understand ourselves and go from that yeah. me to we and how we bring people along with that. Um, yeah, I love I love the sounds of 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 all of that. Was there anything mm -hmm. that surprised you? Did as you went through this beta version of it, I'm wondering if there is anything that kind of exceeded your expectations or maybe surprised you in terms of what mm -hmm. participants were saying or what they experienced or how that all sort of came about. Oh yeah, there was so many. Like I, I don't even know where to start. But like that's the beauty of I've been getting some really good mentorship in my design of this program mm -hmm. and the power of co-creation, like any teacher or leader on this podcast who's listening, knows that when you open up space to say, I don't have all the answers, how are we going to figure this out together? Every week I'd come away being like, huh, interesting. I think one of the biggest things, like when you're designing and you're trying to create curriculum, you can sometimes get caught in your head of, okay, it has to be mind blowing. And I'm going to give them these tools that are going to just like blow their minds. And it, it really, you realize it's not about that at all. Because when we finished the beta version and I asked people, what was the most impactful part for you? Almost every single person said, just being around people who get it. And it reminded me so much of my story and going back to that human side of all of this. They're like, not only do they get it, they're going through it too. I'm learning from their approach. I just feel seen. I feel like it's a safe space for me to just 
be vulnerable because I, I can't do that in my context. I'm so nervous to celebrate my wins publicly and look like I'm being a jerk <laughs> as a person in this role who's like, I just did this thing. I'm amazing. That could be, yeah, for sure. Like I talked, you know, you mentioned this and we've talked about that before about how important it is to celebrate your wins because it can come off as, as, you know, you're bragging or, or, uh, other people look at your successes and they think, well, what's the big deal in doing that? But, but it is important to acknowledge the steps forward. I'll often say that to folks is do to, um, you know, look, look at how far you've come as opposed to thinking always about how far you have to go. Like you have mm. to celebrate those little steps along the way and the, the way that you create that culture. Uh, and, and there are some, there are some big wins that are small things, but they're big wins in certain schools, uh, high schools, you know, you look at how they adjust their grading practices, et cetera. That could be a really big win, even though it seems mm -hmm. very small in the grand scheme. So we do need to celebrate that. Okay. Colleen, I've, mm -hmm. I've kept you out of this conversation <laughs> long enough. Um, okay. I want to bring you back in as a, as a participant and somebody who has been working with Natalie, you've been in this empowerment ecosystem. I want to turn the lens on you and ask you as a participant going through the program and you, from your experience, what were some of your big takeaways, some of your big learnings, some, some things that, that have helped you grow in the role that you have? Yeah, thank you. So as I'm sitting here listening to Natalie's story again, uh, I just, it aligns so well with a lot of my experiences within my current context, especially moving from, I went from an administration role to a divisional role that put me in the middle. And so I wasn't able to really have that community. And Natalie was presenting that community that really aligned with co-creation and that aligned with us coming together through the vision model that she put forward about first us like looking at ourselves and then from that context being able to kind of use our voice in many ways to be able to um, influence those around us in a way that was very very gentle and aligned with my own philosophies within mentorship and and so that was super powerful and then the community that was created um, through everybody else who was in a similar context was was so mind blowing, like it really did lend itself to the ideas that we are all in a specific place where we want change and really just coming together to be able to do that in such a global context was was really, really inspiring. And, and I felt uh, at many points throughout that, oh, there, it's not just me, there's many others like me that want to want to affect change, especially within assessment and grading, and that the way to do change was through our own stories, like Natalie talked about. And it's only through that relational aspect within learning that we can actually go anywhere with our learning. And so mm -hmm. that really set set the tone for me and that this was a place that I belonged because it was with other educators, other leaders, other learners that really were aligning with the same things that I was doing and wanting to do. Um, one of the, the major things that I found in going into a divisional role from, from a role where I was in a building was that I was kind of put in the margins in the sense that I didn't have a home. And mm -hmm. when I, when you don't have a home, it's so hard to ground yourself because you're constantly moving and you're not able to, to have those relationships that kind of go a little bit deeper within that context to be able to make really lasting, sustainable change. And so having the ecosystem really was the place to ground me while I was kind of quote unquote homeless and, and really aligning with, again, with others who were doing that same work and who were also homeless. In, in many instances, because they too were in, were in that middle position of that we weren't 
at a home or we weren't in the classroom or we weren't in a formalized leadership role, but we were leaders and really how could we use our empowerment within coming together to be able to to be critical in what we were doing, intentional what we were doing, and then to have that home base to come back to and talk about our wins and talk about our struggles and talk about our learning and how that's really made an impact. Yeah, it's so clear how important community is and how important we have that support, whether that support be within our school division or whether it be across the country or around North America or around the world, because mm -hmm. we know that that the empowerment ecosystem has no borders when it comes to those who can be a part of it, for sure. Yeah. Colleen, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here yeah. and ask you, um, first, I'm also going to ask you to set your humility aside, because I think as educators, <laughs> we are often very humble to a fault. Sure. But I want to ask you, when you, as you went through the empowerment ecosystem, did you learn something about yourself as a leader that you thought maybe didn't exist or wasn't a characteristic that you had or something where you uncovered something within yourself as a leader that you maybe thought was not a part of your, I, I'm asking this question quite inartfully, but yeah. I just want to, I'm just curious if you, if you learned something about yourself as a leader that you didn't know existed within you and whether or not, and, and how that sort of came about through, through the connection of everybody or through the program. Yeah. Thanks for that question. Um, I would definitely say that my voice, I learned that my voice was way more powerful than I was lending it to be. Hmm. That the ways that I was able to have conversations and to build relationships with people wasn't that like stepping into that was kind of that biggest learning piece that really wasn't a part of my my immediate repertoire, I guess. And so really allowing myself to step into that power that I that I did have and to really cultivate those skills a little bit further um, was kind of the biggest learning, I would say, for me. Wonderful. I, you know, that the word power has such a negative connotation, but it is so important to <laughs> mm -hmm. find your voice and sort of embrace your power and your ability to create those situations and create that context and, and create opportunities for others to learn and, and honor where you are in your leadership role. Thank, thanks for sharing that, Colleen. I, I really yeah. do appreciate that. Yeah. So Natalie, how do people, how do people join? Like how, how can people, how do people, they're out there, they're listening right now. They're like, I'm in. I heard, I heard Nat's story. I hear Colleen's story. I want to be, I want to part a piece of this. I want to get in on this. What do they do? Um, best way would be to get in touch with me. I'll send you a link, Tom, so that you can put it in the description of this episode, okay. but, uh, book a meeting with me. Um, Colleen's helping me out because they're just to help with the volume of people who want right. to get involved. But right. I am very careful about curating this community right from the get go, knowing how mm. important having that like-minded uh, energy in the space is. So I would mm -hmm. love to have a meeting, talk to you one-on-one -on -one, or Colleen would talk to you one-on-one, -on -one, find out more about where you're at currently, what you're doing in your role, what you're experiencing, what your hopes and dreams are, and then be very honest about this is what the program looks like. This is what we do. And if there's alignment, then invite people in. But the best place would be to get in touch with me and set up a call. I'll send you a link so you can put it in this episode and or if not there find me on twitter i'm there a lot well it's still there apparently <laughs> but my handle is at natabasso n-a-t-a-b-a-s-s-o and i would happily start a conversation through twitter as well 
Fantastic. I, I think it's important to reiterate because I know Natalie, you and I have talked about this before. The process of interviewing is it's not to create an exclusive club, but it is about mm -hmm. the right fit. Yeah. Because that community, as Colleen and yourself have talked about throughout just the last 20 minutes or so, how important it is to connect and have that community of like-minded people. So it's about mm -hmm. the right fit. So so listeners, just want you to understand that the conversation with Natalie or with Colleen is really about is this the right fit for you? Does it suit the yeah. role that you're in? It's not about mm -hmm. exclusivity or anything like that. So mm -hmm. Natalie, any other places uh, that people can connect with you um, social media wise? Let's just give people before, as we wrap up here. Um, mm -hmm. Twitter is one place. Where else can they connect with you? I'm also on Instagram. Uh, I have a podcast called Edu Crush, as most people probably know. <laughs> so uh, I'm not, I'm very active on my personal Instagram, but I have an Instagram for Edu Crush. It's at Edu Crush Pod. It's E-D-U Crush Pod. And then I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm trying to get a little bit more active on there. So if you're in the LinkedIn space, you could also find me just under my full name there. Fantastic. Colleen, uh, how can people connect with you online, social media handles, etc.? Well, if they're really looking for me, I'm usually right next to Natalie. So whenever <laughs> Natalie, whoever, whatever on her social media, just you can search my name, Colleen Dawson. Uh, I'll be there in, in LinkedIn and on, uh, on Twitter, it's uh, MixMX, uh, Rehumanizing Education. Excellent. Excellent. Um, listeners, I cannot tell you, you have only heard just a surface level mm -hmm. uh, of what this empowerment ecosystem is about. I have to tell you, Natalie, I am incredibly impressed with the work you've done so far. And I know that uh, more and more people are going to benefit from this connection and having Colleen uh, with you and working with you and supporting uh, the program, I think is only going to enhance the experience for, for listeners. Mm -hmm. So uh, thanks to both of you, uh, both of you for being here. Uh, really appreciate it. And happy holidays to, to you too as well. Oh, thanks, thanks so much. Tom. Appreciate it. Okay, that's it for 2022. Remember to follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. Also, please email the podcast, tomshimmerpod at gmail.com. If you have questions for Assessment Corner or if you have any suggestions or feedback for me about the podcast, just a reminder again that we will be off until January 16th. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, especially on Apple Podcasts, of course, but a rating or review on any platform will help grow the podcast's reach. If you like what you hear, please keep spreading the word about the podcast to your friends, your colleagues, or on social media. I would truly appreciate that. Happy holidays, everyone. Oh.